Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. Hello, fellow travelers. So we have been recording every week without fail for quite a while. And right now, Stu is traveling abroad. And so we decided it would be fun to go back to the beginning. This episode from this week is the original, the very first episode that we recorded together. Believe it or not, Stu recorded over 100 before me. Um, but this is the very first one that we did together. So um, enjoy, and uh, we'll be back with Stu next week. Bliss, welcome to the podcast today. Oh, I'm so honored to be here with you. You are honored? I'm honored. You I'm are? always honored. Well, how was your day? <laughs> <laughs> My day was good. Mine wasn't. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we had a, did a home visit this morning down in the South Bay, or excuse me, the uh, Long Beach area, and then uh, had to get some fast food, of course, because, you know... Can't Dr. do Dr. Stu's podcast without having fast food. <laughs> and uh, pulling out of the fast food place, uh, I crossed a double yellow line and I got pulled over. So I probably got about a piece of chicken worth about $270. Ugh, darn. <laughs> yeah. The guy was very nice, and but he wasn't nice enough not to give me a ticket because I wasn't cute. <laughs> I'm... I've been considered cute, and I still get tickets. You do? Yeah. Okay. I do. So, just it, so you know, I've yeah. even cried. It was. It wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, it wasn't discriminated against. No. All right. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so today we got a lot to catch up on today because uh, you know you and I have been working together now for seven or eight years uh, in many different capacities. Yeah, we have. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how you know we first met. I think it was when you were running the sanctuary. It might have been Definitely. before that, but it was no, no, it was we when I was sanctuary. already running. Yeah, and we've talked about the sanctuary on the podcast before. It's not there anymore, but the sanctuary was an innovative way to uh, look at uh, uh, integrating all the different kinds of healthcare. Why don't you just tell people a little bit about your, how that started and, and how it went? Well, the sanctuary was born as an idea in my living room with um, a couple other midwives that I worked with when I was pregnant um, at the Hollywood Birth Center, Constance Rock and. Alex Evangeliti, um, and we decided to partner up and bring a birth center forward because the Hollywood Birth Center had closed, and um, Alex and Connie had merged as partners, and there were no birth centers in L.A., and I thought that was crazy, um, and I had a background of running businesses and, um, and a heart for the desire to support women and advocate for them to have options and to know that midwives were amazing. And um, so we came together and opened this birth center. And the vision had always been to collaborate with doctors, to have um, a pediatrician, to have acupuncture and massage therapy and chiropractic and a organic boutique with all kinds of goods for babies and mamas and a yoga studio and a birth center. And we did the, all of that. Yeah, you did. And then it inspired uh, the opening of like, many more <laughs> many more birth centers. And so and then after about, I don't know, five, six years, I think it was. How we many? were open for nine years. Oh, was it nine the years? The birth center was open for six, but yeah. the, the practice was open for nine years. And sort of it, end, it ended for, you know, again, I'm just speculating here for several reasons. One was that you all sort of decided that you sort of wanted to take different paths. I think that 
that part of it was that that when you were running the birth center, it was going great. But then you decided you got inspired to go to go to midwifery school. <laughs> Damn me! And, and then you <laughs> and then you hire somebody else, and nobody ever runs something as well as you do it yeah. when you, when it's your baby. So it had always been my desire to step away from it at some point, um, and it just uh, many attempts to do that didn't really. Well, it's left a great legacy in our city because uh, a lot of birth centers are open now and women yes. have had a lot of choices. Yes. And, you know, I just actually ran into somebody recently uh, who's having her second pregnancy. And she told me that the reason that she chose a home birth in the first place is because she heard me speak at the at the, the midwives. The, I think it was a weekly Wednesday thing that we yeah, had. Yep. And that was inspired her to do that. So that whole family's future was changed yes. because of what you what you started. Yeah. And then you took a different path and you went off to do uh, midwifery school. Right. Well, and tell us just a little bit about where you went and uh, how that worked out. Um, so I, uh, dis- I chose Nijoni. I started with um, Elizabeth Davis up in San Francisco and I did her intensive with um, Heart and Hands. And that was amazing. I went up to San Francisco every weekend for, um, I don't know, it was like three or four months. And that was beautiful to work with her. And then um, and then I could have gone to NMI, but I decided to go to Najoni because I could do that in person as well. And everything else is distance programs where you don't really get to work with the teachers Right, in and NMI is an online uh, uh, midwifery program? Well, you they send you modules and you send them back and then you have a preceptorship. And Najoni is actually a physical Yeah, it's a physical school right. Mm-hmm. In, right. in San Diego. So for three years, I drove to San Diego every Friday. Um, and went to class and came home, and it was kind of an all-day thing. Was, did, you, did you cross any double yellow lines on your drive? Never. Okay. <laughs> good. <laughs> no tickets, actually. No tickets in, in three the years? three years. That's no. pretty good. And I made a bunch of births. I mean, I went through my whole um, career as a, as a student uh, driving down there, and I never missed a birth. So it's pretty pretty awesome. It all worked out. Really? So no births on Friday afternoons? Yes, but I never actually missed one. Oh. Well, how did that work? You skipped school? I'd either skip school or I'd rush back. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah. And so when you were a student, you had a couple of preceptors, right? I did. I had many, actually. <laughs> many. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. Tell us a little bit about how that, how does a midwife student starting out, like a, a first year student or somebody just enrolling, say it's, uh, it's, it's September of the first year of midwifery school. And I, I, do, does a midwife need a, to find a preceptor? How do they find preceptors? Is, this, is it standard in other parts of the country? You don't even know that. I mean, what do you know about... Preceptorship? Yeah. How does that work? Yeah. I mean, you know, midwifery has become more of a profession um, than it was historically. Historically, it was a, you know, it was an apprenticeship and it was a, a knowledge base that was passed down from person to person. And so the apprentice model of midwifery has always been there, just like if you were a blacksmith or something like that, right? Um, so I'm sure in other communities that are a little bit smaller that the the organic nature of learning from somebody and befriending them and telling them that you wanted to learn from them is different than in a big city like Los Angeles. Um, I had the benefit of knowing my preceptors, working professionally with you and Alex, um, who ultimately ended up being the ones that I worked with most for my, for my quote unquote numbers. Um, but you, you find somebody that, that, practices the way that you would like to practice and and you ask them if you can learn from them so say you're say you're say you're a, a person that lives in some small town in central california or maybe central iowa or someplace like that and you go you want to be a midwife and you go get on midwifery school 
uh, at NMI where you can take it, the modules and send them back. But there's nobody around you. Yeah. What do you do? Do you have to move? Move. Yeah. You do. Yeah. You've got to go find somebody. And, I, you know, I'm in the place now. I'm a midwife, a licensed midwife at this point. But there are more traditional practices and things that I would like to learn from midwives who carry that wisdom and I'm going to have to travel. I'm, my plan is to travel to other countries, to travel around around our country and meet some of these women who've been practicing for a long time and hold that that beautiful wisdom of the ancient art of midwifery. So yeah, you have to seek it out. Do you find that, that midwives in other parts of the world or other countries share some of the same benefits and also some of the same trials and tribulations that we have here in Southern California? Or do you... In this country or other countries? Well, anywhere. In yeah, this, I don't let's know. talk about this country because yeah, even though countries. we have listeners everywhere, um, most of the time what we do is we talk locally because that's what I know mm-hmm. best. Yeah, yeah um, me too. I don't really know too much about what goes on <laughs> in the other parts of the world. Me too. That's why I want to go. I want to know. Yeah. Yeah. But will you be able to bring it back here? Well, oh, yes, in some ways, yes. I mean, there's standards of care and there's laws. So there's certain things like I know how to how to deliver a breech baby, but I'm legally I can't do that here in California. So um, I'm sure that there are things that I would learn in other countries that I wouldn't necessarily practice. But I think it does broaden my understanding of the physiology of birth and what's cultural and what's actually just birth because we birth babies the same. Our bodies are basically the same all over the world. No doubt about that. All right. But here on Dr. <laughs> I, Seuss was, po- I think. Yeah, well, no doubt about that. But here on Dr. Seuss podcast, we always have things that we sort of want to talk about that are sort of out of the peaceful norm. And uh, I wanted to talk That's to you why about... I love you. Yeah, well, I wanted to talk about a couple things that have sort of been <laughs> bugging me. But before I get to that, it's a little teaser there, but before I get to that, I want to talk about a birth that you and I shared to, to some degree. Um, it's the first time uh, I, we had a woman that we met on, I think we met her on a Monday. And on Thursday, I think uh, she went into labor. You met her on Monday. Yeah, I met her, you met her in on labor. Thursday, right? Yeah, you <laughs> met her on Thursday. So I met her on a Monday and she was breech and she was at term. And on Thursday, she went into labor. And shortly after midnight on Thursday, she had about a seven-hour labor. It was her first baby. It was a beautiful labor. Yes. And she delivered her breech baby on all fours. And um, just for recapping, the reason I'm talking about this is because something happened with this baby that I've never quite experienced before. And so I want to discuss it with you mm-hmm. and let the listeners uh, have the wisdom or the get the benefit. Benefit. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fin- finish all my words, for, all my sentences for me. That would be really helpful. We've been together so long that she actually could do that. Um, anyway, so uh, we heard hard tones and uh, about maybe six, seven, eight minutes before the baby delivered, and they were fine, and they'd been fine all the way through her labor, and she was on all fours, and the baby came out. Uh, from the time the baby's rump showed till the time the baby's head came out was about four minutes um, total, and the baby came out. And while it was hanging there, the tone was not great, but it did make a couple attempts at breathing or gasping or whatever. And we've seen that, I've seen that dozens of times before. And generally we know that the one minute APGAR score on babies uh, with bre- or born breech are often statistically significantly lower than babies born head first. But by five minutes, they tend to be no statistical significance between the two. And yet this baby came out and never breathed. Yeah, and I would disagree. I think the baby's tone when it was delivering was actually really good. 
you know, I have to watch the video. Cause... Yeah, I mean, we have a video that we, yeah, we, I would love to recap. But um, the feet, the baby was moving its feet and Crystal um, was doing those things. And uh, I didn't have any concerns. I've seen you deliver dozens of breech babies. Yeah. And um, you you pointed out the cleavage in the chest. The position was... was I was really... narrating. Yeah, you were narrating, <laughs> which was great. Which, um, it was, you know, there was no reason for us to believe that there would be any different than all of the other deliveries that we had done together. Was... Right. So what happened was this baby came out and uh, it, it didn't breathe. And, you know, we both have NRP training, which is a neonatal resuscitation. And so initially uh, we checked the heart rate, which was over 100. And we did our initial assessment. We did our initial stimulations and, and the baby never responded. It just, it, it never took a breath. It opened its eyes and it sort of had that, Tried. I'm, not, I'm not quite in my body look that we all know who, if you've done enough deliveries, you've seen this, and, uh, but just wouldn't breathe. And so we started to give it a little bit of uh, uh, assisted breathing, a couple of puffs mm-hmm. to see if that would work. And, and suction. And suction. And mm-hmm. what else did we do? You did a delay. Yeah, that was after about a minute I didn't or know two, you were though. saying in order. Oh. But yes, <laughs> that's another thing we did. And then we made the decision together to do a full um, full resuscitation. Well, the heart includes... rate dropped below 100, right? Yes. And so we, we did full. And then at that point, that was about, I don't know, five, six minutes. You're, you're better on the minute part. I just yeah, kind of was Yeah, I think in about moment. five, six minutes, we decided to call 911. Oh, six. It was six. Six minutes, we mm-hmm. called 911. They were there within about six minutes, mm-hmm. which was really great. And... Um, then it's very interesting because I don't have experience with this because I've never in my whole career ever had to do full-on CPR on a newborn baby. So I'm glad I had the training. And uh, Yes. It, what? <laughs> I'm glad we had the training. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it, but it was, it was you know, you, you asked me later, was I, was I scared or was I, you know, and I, I didn't even have time to think about it. It's yeah. funny how your adrenaline kicks in and you don't really have time to think about it. Um, fortunately... When you're in the middle of it, you've got somebody else telling you, like, um, all right, we should call them. Or when the ambulance people got there, you <laughs> you looked at the ambulance, you looked at this poor young <laughs> EMT guy, and you looked at him, and you said what? Um, he moved towards me with his head down, um, which didn't give me confidence. And I think it was just instincts. And I said, um, do you know how to resuscitate a baby? And he said yes. Well, oh, yeah. With his head down. Yeah. Also, not very confidently, and I repeated it. Do you know how to resuscitate a baby? Newborn baby, right? And he said, "No." <laughs> <laughs> I know he did. He said, "No." Let's let's take a moment and talk about one of our sponsors. Let's talk about Element. L M N T. L M N T. L M N T. Yeah, it's a uh, electrolyte mix. Comes in packets. You mix it in water. Eco friendly. Uh, very tasty, comes in multiple flavors. And I actually had all the flavors lined up on my phone and then I dropped it. So I know that you like your mango chili, uh, but there's whole other, there's watermelon and there's uh, chocolate, something chocolate with it in it and mm-hmm. a whole bunch of great flavors. And it's got all the good stuff in it that, that we really need to stay healthy with uh, none of the, as Liz likes to say. None of the BS. None of the BS, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, you know, it's good for birth workers. It's good for women in labor. It's good for men working on, on their yard or in their garden and, and gr- growing their own food, farm to table, or when they're when they're mowing the South 40 at the 350 acre, 300 acre place. I mean, Element will be our staple drink at the 
Kentucky Center, right? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So um, if you go to drinkelement.com, that's drinkelement.com, and put in uh, backslash birthing instincts, you can get a free sample pack uh, for only the cost of shipping, which I think is five bucks. So we hope that you'll support them. Um, They've been with us for a while now, and we really appreciate our long-term sponsors. So thank you, Element. And I so they, said, okay, we got this. Yeah. And we kept going. Right. Because yeah. generally when they get here, but uh, the EMTs are really happy to, they were very happy to defer to us. And they said some really nice things to me once we got to the hospital. But you told me to get in the ambulance. Yes. And, and so I went to the ambulance, yeah. I got in the ambulance and I helped direct the resuscitation for the six or seven minutes or eight minutes it took us to get to the hospital. And the guys in the truck were very grateful that I was there, but I was there in bare feet and I had no wallet no ID and I had a cell phone <laughs> and that yeah. was it. Yep. Right. Yep. And, uh, when you run to the hospital, it's like that sometimes. Yeah. And the good news and the reason, part of the reason we're, we're sort of laughing now at the po- telling the story is because the outcome of this turned out to be great. Uh, as far as we know at this point. Um, yes. Ba- everything's, everything looks good. Right. And baby's home. The baby's home yeah. and the baby was in the hospital, went on the cooling protocol for three days and prophylactically and the baby's follow up EEGs and uh, MRIs were completely normal which doesn't get, I mean which makes us feel good about the resuscitation and uh-huh. all that stuff mm-hmm. but doesn't still have, we have no explanation for it. No. So by the way if anybody else has seen any of these things and wants to send me an email at askdrstu at gmail.com because you never stop learning and just as Bliss likes to want to go all over the world to learn stuff she may never do use just because she has this quest for knowledge it's the same thing here. I don't like not understanding something. Right. And this is, I've, I've been working, I've been doing this now for 31 years. And How I, many breaches have you done? Well, I have no idea. How many breaches have I done at home? Sure. 50. Well, uh-huh. 50 some now. Uh-huh. Right. And the reason I know that is because another piece of information, uh, my colleague, Rixa Fries, she's a PhD researcher. Um, I think she's back east in either Ohio or Indiana, I think. She and I have submitted a paper for publication on uh, 50 home breach births compared to 102 head down baby births. Normally a, breach stu- normally a breach study will, you'll compare vaginal breach delivery versus cesarean breach delivery. But since obviously we don't do cesarean breach deliveries at home, I wanted to compare outcomes of vaginal breach delivery versus vaginal head down delivery and see what we got. And I'll, we'll be doing a whole podcast on that once the paper gets um, approved uh, and uh, it will get approved. <laughs> Uh, and, and once it's public, then we'll, make, well, then we'll post it all over the place and we'll publicize it. And we wanted to put it in a journal where there's free access. We didn't want to put it into a journal where you could go to PubMed and get the abstract, but then you'd have to pay to get the uh, full paper. So mm-hmm. we're going to put it in a journal where anybody will be able to click on it and open it up and Great. read the whole thing. Awesome. So anyway, so I've done 50 home breach births. I, I, you know what? When you're, in the, when you're a physician in the hospital working for 24 years in the hospital, you don't keep a logbook. Yeah. You know, midwives keep a logbook, and I've done that ever since I started home birthing because I learned that from midwives. But in the hospital setting, you don't keep a logbook. It just goes in the chart, and, and uh, that's how – so I have no idea. But hundreds. Well, I would probably say somewhere close to 150 to 200. Yeah. And in the hospital, it's different because you're not responsible for the baby. So once the baby is delivered, you hand it over to a team of people, and you're not the one who's actually still caring for the baby. Correct. Right? And so in at home, that has shifted. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. But most babies don't need anything. 
Yeah, no, obviously. Which is yes. which is which is why the, we do this. Which is one of the advantages of being at home is because in the hospital it seems like every baby needs something. Now that's beginning to change, and you're seeing different. We've talked about this. We've seen different ways of approaching babies at hospitals with skin to skin and delayed cord clamping and all that stuff. But you know, still, in majority of hospitals in the country, the baby's delivered. The doctor holds the baby. The cord is quickly clamped. Cord is cut. Mother gets to look at her baby while the doctor hands it over to the nurse in the warmer, who then does all this unnecessary stuff because they have to do that because that's what the hospital's policies and protocols say. But there's no reason for that. It's just it's just one of those long habits of doing something and not thinking that it's wrong. Right. Right. We've yeah. So I don't want to beat that horse to death. Uh, anyway, so that that was a real learning experience for me because, and I feel good about it because now I think that if it ever happened again, I'd feel a little much more, you know, more confident. And I hope that you would too. Yes. And then of course, the interesting thing was, I don't know if you've debriefed him at all, but Dr. Berlin, the chiropractor was Mm -hmm. at this birth and Mm -hmm. I think he was a little stunned by the whole thing. He was the doula. Doodla. He was the doodla, right. (laughs) But did you talk to him afterwards? Did you, did you? We've talked. Yeah. We've talked. Yeah. Yeah. And he's doing okay. I mean, uh, it's not easy to watch. Yeah. Horrible to watch actually. Those are intense experiences, but you know, I, I, you, you and I talked about this. Um, this is what we're hired for. People could deliver their babies on their own. That you know, there are unassisted deliveries. We talk about the mammalian um, model of, or not model, but the mammalian that we're mammal, mammals. <laughs> <laughs> mammals, we're mammals, we're mammals. Um, and we could deliver on our own. Perfectly fine, but there is a percentage of people that need assistance, right? There's there's the babies and the moms that wouldn't make it without someone being there to support them. So we're licensed medical professionals, and that's why people hire us. They hire us for those complications, those moms that bleed a little too much, the babies that get stuck, the breech deliveries, the babies that need a little support breathing. So this is this is what we prepare for. And I think the understanding of that is beginning to spread as as more and more people are looking at alternatives to hospital birthing. And I do have to tell you that when I was at the ER, two things happened to me that are very memorable to me. One is that one of the EMTs pulled me aside and said that he's never seen a physician so comfortable and confident um, that he says most of the time when we show up, whether it's a doctor's office or whatever else, the doctors want nothing to do with it. They just basically want to abdicate everything. So right. he was very grateful for the fact. And I was, I'm grateful to you for telling, <laughs> telling me to do that because I wouldn't have thought to do that either. I mean, I would have thought that the EMT show up, they know what they're doing. But clearly when you talk to the young EMT guy and he's, you had the sense to ask him twice well, and he this... said no. Because they don't, they don't ever see that. I mean, how, how, other than their training, it's so rare for them to, have, to be able to, you know, to see a neonate, a, a neonate right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing that happened was one of the male nurses in the labor room, I, I was standing outside. I don't think he knew who I was, even though I was standing there in bare feet <laughs> in the <laughs> ER. And he said, he said, I won't repeat the, oh, I, can, I guess it's podcasting words, so I can say whatever I want. He said, fucking home births. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and I shook my head and I said, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And I should have, you know, and then I left it at that because I wasn't going to get into an argument with the guy. But it's like, it's like, this was not because she had a home birth. I mean, like this doesn't happen in the hospital. Right. All right. And they don't see all the babies that come out fine. And, you know, they don't see those. Of course, they're seeing all of the times that we need medical intervention, which is why we're going to the hospital. But the same thing happens upstairs in this hospital. Sure. Yes. So it's just, it's just a knee jerk reaction 
You know, and the thing is, is that you're right. The right people were at the right place at the right time. And the birth, and look, look at, she would have had a cesarean section. So there's nothing to say that the baby would have come out of the cesarean section and not had the same problem. Yeah, and they, and they have no regrets. I've talked to them about it. Oh, yeah, no, no, I know yeah, that. They're yeah, great. Absolutely have no regrets of They're their great. choice. They, they had some uh, problems. Again, one of the things that we would like to see happen is we'd like to see them be less rigid in the, in, in the NICU with some of their policies because it was very difficult for them to get the skin to skin and the breastfeeding and, and stuff like that. There was some obstructions put yes. in their way. But, you know, uh, the bottom... And, by the way, they were also threatened, theoretically, with if they did something against what the hospital wanted, that, that CPS would be called. Right, and that's difficult. That's a difficult one because I understand that the hospital needs to protect themselves and make sure that, you know, there are people that might not have their you know, might not be in sound mind and be able to make these medical decisions for their baby, but that's not the case for everyone. And I say this all the time, Western medicine is only one way that people take care of their health. And and we are supposed to be working on true informed consent. So we're giving them the pros and the cons of every single test and procedure that we do, and then giving the power to the parents to make this decision. But what's happening, especially I see it mostly in the NICU, is that people are just told how it's going to go and not empowered to make these decisions. And then if they go, they decide that they want to do something differently than that, um, then then they're turned over to Child Protective Services. There was a woman, I can't remember what state it's in, uh, but it's not here. It's in another state where she's in a custody battle with her um the, the dad and um, he wanted the baby to be vaccinated and she didn't and she is going to go to jail. They're sending her to jail because she said that she would not vaccinate her baby. Um, so these are the kinds of things where our power is being taken away. Our choice is being taken away of how we want to care for our children. And that's when I get, uh, you know, the advocate. In well, me, um, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't want to mess me. with you because uh, <laughs> because you are very eloquent when you speak and you are also Thank very you. passionate about what you talk about. And and. The last part of this story was something that you told me days later, or maybe, I don't know, it was probably days later. You mentioned sort of after we had left to go to the hospital. The police stayed behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you call 911, everybody shows up, all right? And so then tell tell the audience, tell the listening audience sort of what happened, because, again, some people, this may they might be uh, uh, enlightening to them as to what can happen and how it works, and then... Uh, well, yeah, you tell the story. Tell, go ahead. Well, it's interesting because I've talked to other midwives about it and they've said they've never had the police show up. So I don't know why this particular situation, the police came with the paramedics, but they did. Um, and one of the things that we normally do in a transport is someone goes with the family and whoever's assisting or a student will stay behind and clean up so that when the parents come home, they don't have to deal with a mess. And, and you know, if it's, if it's an upsetting situation, like the baby didn't do well or is having challenges, they don't have to have the memories of the birth right away. So I went in to start to clean the birth room and the police officer said uh, you can't touch anything in there and I don't know if he said it or if my mind just made it up but I said it's a crime scene <laughs> and he had already taken all my information and so I was like oh if this baby doesn't make it we could be investigated you know and so I said can I clean up in the rest of the house and he said yeah sure and you know I'm usually warm and friendly and I make small talk no, with people very intimidating. And, 
I make yeah. people <laughs> I make people feel comfortable. And so, you know, but I didn't want to small talk with this guy. I was really I was really irritated and um and nervous and didn't know what what the right thing to say was, you know. And so a few minutes later he said, um, okay, everything's fine. We're gonna go. Thanks so much. And, you know, and I said, Oh, okay. And I hadn't heard from you. You and I were communicating via text and I said, The baby's fine. He said, Yeah. And I said, you know, I just want to let you know that I am a licensed professional. I'm licensed by the medical board, and so is the doctor who is here. And home birth is legal in California. Um, and you know, I, it just makes me feel really um, sad and uncomfortable the fact that I'm being treated like a criminal. Um, do you go into the hospital, and if there's a demise, do you tell them that they can't clean anything up? And he goes, "No, that's the hospital, and you know, this is where that's this is kind of abnormal to have things being done at home." And I said, "But it is legal." And I, you know, I know you're just doing your job and I'm not, you know, I'm not. How many things have been done in this country in the name of just doing your job? Right. But, you know, I mean, I knew it wasn't, this guy wasn't trying to like, you know, give me a hard time. He was just doing what he was supposed to do. But I I know my $270 piece of chicken today was some guy (laughs) just doing his job. So, (laughs) Um, so, you know, I I said, I just wanted to like give him some perspective. And I think the more that we talk about this, the more that we talk about home birth, the more we normalize things, the more we breastfeed openly in public, the more we educate people, then it becomes the norm. So it was important for me to say something to him and just say, you know, I just want you to notice how this is treated so differently, even though this was the woman's choice and this is a perfectly legal situation that's happening. Yeah, and the thing here. that bugs me, as as you know, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, well, I've worked. I worked in a hospital for uh, twenty four years, uh, twenty eight years. I worked in a hospital, including my residency, and I saw a lot of mistakes made, and I saw a lot of errors made, and I, of course, I didn't. I didn't see any like, criminal behavior. But the idea that bad things don't, you know, don't happen in a hospital—I mean, bad things can happen in a hospital—and well, we don't investigate that because it's the hospital. I mean, it's like that when you when you told me that and you said it just like you said it now on the on, on the podcast, I, I just sort of floored me because what difference does it make where what the location is? Right. Why should that make a difference? Right. And it, but and it, what we know, it does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> in lots of but things. It shouldn't. The location. Yeah, yes, it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Bamboobies, Bliss. They're one of our sponsors. They've been a sponsor for us for a long time. Bamboobies has really stepped up and been a major contributor to this podcast, and we're so thankful. They are a great company that um, is committed to the comfort for mom and baby. They've got great eco-conscious line um, that I love, coming from bamboo breast pads to uh, nursing tanks, wonderful teas and salves, um, all uh, focused on on the comfort of mom and baby and making sure that the environment is taken care of as well. So go check them out. And Stu's got a wonderful code for you so that yeah. you can use that to yeah. support go us to their website. Bamboobies. Yeah, go to their website, bamboobies.com and go to their boutique, uh, their online store and buy some stuff. And then when you check out... <laughs> When you check out, um, put fill in, up your cart. Put in the code word instincts, and you get twenty five percent off. So that's bamboobies.com code word instincts for twenty five percent off of your purchase. Thanks, bamboobies. Thanks, bamboobies. Okay, so now that we've gotten through that story, I've got a couple other things I just want. I got one little article that I just want to talk about briefly. I saw a headline. You know, I get uh, I do Google searches uh, for home birth. And they come up every night. And one of them said there was a headline 
on a on a website called Romper. I don't. Does anybody know what Romper is? Do you know what Romper no. is? You know what Romper is? Okay. Yeah, somebody's heard of it. So uh, anyway, it says epidurals don't slow down labor. Study says. So don't feel guilty for opting for pain relief by a, a woman named Alana Romana, all right? So epidurals don't slow down labor. Now, that defies everything I know about epidurals and have known for, for 30 years, that epidurals given in early labor will often slow down labor, which then requires Pitocin and other things. Other we all know this. Everybody knows that. So I'm thinking, what are they talking about? Right. So then, I, of course, I go to the study and I look at the study and it's talking about epidurals in the second stage. Mm-hmm don't seem to make any difference. It was 51 minutes average for no epidural and 52 minutes average with epidural. So mm-hmm. once again, I've, I've ranted on my podcast about the misleading headlines, the people, the editors that come up with these things. But to make a headline that says epidurals don't slow labor, okay, right. is such, a, is such a, a misguided, well, it's just wrong. And I wish, I, you know, I, I, I want to warn people when they read stuff I don't think my listeners have to worry about this stuff because we're pretty pretty smart. I've got pretty smart people that listen to my podcast who already know this stuff. But you know, preach it to people that you come across, your family members, whatever. That just because they read something or read a headline, you've got to look at the meat of the story. And if you don't look at the meat of the story, and and then you have to click on you know how they sometimes have things on a on an internet story they they'll be in blue or something, and you have to click on that, and then you have to read that, and then you got to click on something else. If you don't do that stuff and you just read the headline or the first paragraph. You completely are misinformed, and it frustrates the hell out of me. Well, you know, this is like a cultural conversation now. This has this is much more than birth. I mean, we're well, it is much more than birth, but we're staying. We're going to stay focused now. We're not going to go yeah, off on but on other 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 fake news. <laughs> no, I'm just saying this is this is how we process information now, and it it not many people. I mean, I heard somebody, well, they got me to click on it, which I ultimately is their probably romper's goal. Okay. Don't you think? I don't. Oh, what no. do you think their goal was? I think that that was their goal, is to have some kind of title like that. Well, I mean, women, I guess, would open it. But do they know as much as you do? No. No. So they're still going to under- believe what this is saying. They're not going to look deeper into the study. And that's what happened. <laughs> I know. See, I know. This is the problem. This is the problem. Which is a deeper cultural issue, as Do you just know said. I was going to say, though, I've heard a lot of people say recently, and it just blows my mind, I don't like reading. And I think, oh, my God, are we going to like move into like a whole... 140 characters. Like, no, people actually will not read. They like they, People don't they read anymore. Decide. As a matter of fact, I know people... Look, we spend so Close much time, some of us spend so much time in our car commuting that now we, we have people read to us. If we're going to even read a book, it's somebody's reading it to us. It's that's, hard. That's better than nothing. Well, now. that's right. At least yeah. you're getting literature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's sound bites. It's, uh, it's, it's six second, 15 second uh, attention span. That, that's all we have. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I understand that. And so people aren't going to read and they're going to just read headlines. So maybe we should start fabricating our own headlines. We should. Yeah. For one of our podcasts, we'll just come up with a bunch of fake headlines. I've actually done this before. but This is fun. I know. want to do that. I did one once where I said, uh, oh, I can't, I, uh, you know what? I can't even remember. That's, uh, I'm putting myself on the spot now. But <laughs> I, uh, where in one of the podcasts, I did do a, a couple of you know, weird headlines. Or actually, it was one of my blogs that I did it. 
Yeah, I've done this. I've repeated this stuff so many times in my life. It gets all gets blurred together. <laughs> now, you told me this morning, you sent me a text this morning, and probably you've been thinking about it all night long because you woke up and you sent me this nice topic this morning about, uh, about backup. And uh, I wanted to spend the last couple minutes that we have mm-hmm. today on our podcast to, since I have you here, and, and uh, you might be very well invited back, of course, if you'll come. <laughs> but I'd like to you to tell a little bit of what I you might were... invite you back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to keep my prerogative. <laughs> so anyway, what, what was it that was you know bugging you this morning? It's time to get it off your chest. This is a good place to, to vent and get rid of it. Well, you know, I, I just am having a hard time finding true solid backup options for my clients and um i feel really disappointed for my clients i i don't it doesn't really make a huge difference for me i can just roll up in the hospital and get what is needed but the transition is so much smoother for my clients when they have the opportunity to meet someone um when the culture at the hospital is um supportive, like you don't get these comments like you got from that one nurse, right? I mean, a a woman who's just had that disappointment and doesn't want to be and afraid doesn't want to have those comments coming back at her. So you do the best to create an environment for her that you know, look, we're just we're just going to the hospital to get what we need. I'm still with you. It's still your team, you know. Um, And I'm just finding that it's really difficult. I'm having doctors not call me back to even have a conversation. People have done, because I also work in the hospital as a doula or a monitorist. So are these doctors that you call, or are these like the doctors that, that were caring for these women before Both. they... Both. I, and I won't mention any names, but I've had a couple of... Oh, you can of, mention names. No, yeah. I won't mention any <laughs> names. Um, I, Everybody ha- wants to know. I've had a couple of um, clients who had done most of their care with a doctor, and and I thought, oh, you know, what's the big deal to just say if you need to go? We don't even use the word backup, quote unquote. Right, because we don't use the word. It's a it's a taboo now to use that word. It's is it in the in in a doctor's um like insurance? It may very well be. It may very well be. Uh, they just don't want anything written on your chart mm-hmm. that says that they're somehow responsible. And you know, I get it. I get, I understand, but. If a woman that they do have a relationship and they've seen for most of their pregnancy makes a decision to say, you know what, I really think I want to stay at home, leave your ego out of it. I'm sure you have plenty of clients. Um, Allow this woman the opportunity to be able to work with somebody who she already knows, she likes you, and say, if I need to come to the hospital for any reason, would you be willing to support me? I mean, I don't see how it's any different than if she was in labor. However, I think that a lot of times doctors or maybe insurance companies feel like now you're being responsible for how the midwife cared for that client. And I've well, even that's misinformation because it's actually not true that they're that they're responsible for the care that you give. They're not because we're independent. So either either they're misinformed or they're purposely using that as a reason to not want to be bothered with somebody who you know they maybe an ego thing doesn't really want them or is only going to come to them if there's a they they look at it as well she's only going to come to me if she's got a problem and for what blue shield pays me why do i want to deal with that and and then i go back to what i was just saying aren't we licensed to be able to care for people when they have a problem isn't that our job i mean our job or well, it's all our jobs. It's yes. all of our jobs. But that's specifically what an obstetrician is trained to, to do. Right. And I right. tell people this all the time when they're talking about the differences between doctors and midwives is that 
the actual definition for do- for an obstetrician is a doctor who specializes in pregnancy-related illnesses and surgery. Yet 95% of women are going to a doctor for that specializes in those things, even though they're completely healthy. So Yeah, it's more like 85%, but, but I agree with you. So that's what they're there for if there's a problem. And this woman is saying, I would really love for you to take care of me, but... I have, you know, offered to to talk to them. I've offered they don't to want do to talk, concur- they don't want to meet with you. To do concurrent care. I've offered, you know, all kinds of things. And um I just feel disappointed that my clients are now feeling like they just have to roll up in in a hospital and get who they get. Um and sometimes that ends up having a woman not choose home birth. Yeah, you you mentioned that. Yeah. You mentioned that. Yeah, I mean, I've been talking to that client um, today, and her doctor, you know, is doing the thing of let's sweep your membranes and your baby's getting big and, um, you know, talking about induction. And she's she's 40 weeks and one day. And... um, Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and, and I, of course I'm thinking, man, if, if she was in my care, we wouldn't, you know, the conversations would be really different, but I don't, I can't, I can't, I'm not the one yeah, responsible what you, for her what, care you, anymore. One of the things I, me- I know that you mentioned to me was that even if you do uh, concurrent care, mm-hmm. what happens is, is when they're in the doctor's office, the doctor tells them things that then frighten them yep. and then build up this anxiety in them. And then that starts to fester. And then it's really hard for you to repair that. And so what happens yeah. is, is they end up, you know, choosing to do something that they really didn't want to do in the first place. Well, you know, I one of the things I loved about my midwives is that they they had me in this bubble of everything's great. Yep. You're just pregnant. Yep. This is a beautiful time. You know, I wasn't worried about any of those conversations out in the world. People want to be worried about their pregnancy more power to you, but I didn't. I just wanted to enjoy being pregnant, and yeah, and the, and the midwives did that because you were normal, not because I was. right. I mean, they they weren't falsely reassuring you; they were reassuring you because you were you were normal. And if something wasn't normal, they would have told you that, but they would have told it to you in a way that wasn't maybe so fearful. And right. the, again, everybody who listens to this podcast knows that the fear that comes in our in American. Uh, uh, women who are pregnant comes uh, comes directly from the obstetri- obstetricians. They're they're the ones that are really scared, and so what they do is they project their own anxiety and their own fear onto the onto their own clients. I truly believe this. There's no question. There's no reason why a, a doctor needs to tell somebody at 40 weeks and three days that if you don't deliver by by Friday, uh, we're going to induce you. I mean, why why do you say that to somebody? I mean, we were talking today. I was at a home visit this Prepare morning. Them, so it's a completely different topic. We were, but I'll just I'll just deviate for a second because we're running out of time. But it, it just came in my head. Is we were talking today about I, I took care of a woman recently up until about twenty four weeks, and then she moved back to New York. All right, so it is it's correlated, and she's seeing a doctor in New York. She plans to deliver at Lenox Hill Hospital in New York City, and she has a private doctor there. And the first visit she has there, the doctor's encouraging her to have a Tdap and a flu vaccine. Yeah. All right. And so she texts me and she says, what do you think about that? And I said, well, why don't you ask the doctor, what's the risk of a newborn baby having a serious illness or death from whooping cough or the flu? And I can guarantee you, I can guarantee her that he has no idea. That he's doing it because ACOG says that's what you should do. So being me, I looked it up. <laughs> and there are, there are 20 infant deaths per year from whooping cough in the United States since 2010. It's been relatively stable. 
There's four million babies a year. You do the math. Okay, that's basically one in 200. Don't ask me to one, do math. Oh, yeah, I know that. That's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> you should see her face, people. Oh, my God. Anyway, uh, it's about one in 200,000. So the chance of a baby dying from whooping cough is one in 200,000. And for that, we're going to vaccinate everyone, 199,999 women and telling them that, that it's, it's for safety. Why not tell them that the risk of your baby dying is one in 200,000 and then let them decide? Which is what we're supposed to do. Yeah, it's what we're supposed to do. Right? Yeah, I mean, but we're not. But they don't. But doctors don't even know it. They don't even know what the number is. I could, I could bet you. I would bet you any amount of money that I could go and I could ask ten obstetricians what's the risk, or ten pediatricians for that matter. But this is an obstetrical issue because you're giving it prenatally. Anyway, so my point is made. Everybody understands it. <laughs> <laughs> Your point is made, is and it? yeah, and backup is, is backup is a problem for many parts of the country. You know, I'm fortunate, that, and, and we're fortunate in Southern California that we have some options, but we can't overwhelm these people either. And there are, you know, I mean, for the fact that there's over 4,000, I think, OBGYNs in the Southern California area, um, the fact that there's maybe, what, a, a dozen or more that, that, are, that, are, that are known to be very receptive to it, although there, there we, are, we are lucky because some of the hospitals are becoming better. Oh, yeah. In but, terms of transport? Yes. I think Cedars is, does a really good Cedar job. Cedar sinai is what she's talking about in our area. Anyway, yeah. so... Um, uh, that was fun. We're not going to solve these problems today, but it is fun. <laughs> it is fun talking to you. We have these conversations. A lot I miss you as being my student. When Bliss was my student, we'd have these conversations every day uh, that you were there anyway. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, this has been uh, podcast number 117. And when John, producer John, gets the music going, we'll, <laughs> we'll go through the uh, litany of things that you can do to reach us. But this one was especially important for me because I'd like people to contact me at askdrstew at gmail.com. And I'd like people to know that they can reach Bliss Young at... Um, Instagram and Facebook, birthingbliss or birthingbliss.com. They can send me a message through there. Thanks, Bliss. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 